Uh, let's just pray. Father God, could not pray anything more accurate than that song. So, we will just make that our prayer, that your spirit is welcome here, that we understand how good you are, that we learn more about you, become more fully transformed into the likeness of your Son. pray that you would use your scripture now by your Holy Spirit to accomplish that purpose. In Christ's name, amen. So, um, I have a sermon in this series on Jesus that we've been doing over the summer, and uh, I've been trying to get to it for about three weeks now, but every time I start to write it and start to come around to plan to preach it, it seems that God has other plans for the Sunday. And uh, so a few weeks ago, we did Jesus entering into our sorrow, his tear, the truth and tears at the tomb of Lazarus. And then uh, last week, no one ever spoke like this man. I, just, I had to preach that sermon. I don't know why, just Tuesday had to do it. So I'm thinking I'm going to get to this sermon that I'm trying to preach, and then this Sunday, same thing. Uh, this week, same thing. God says, no, you're not preaching that yet. And so that's why I think the series may stretch longer than summer, because um, I really want to get to this sermon, a couple of sermons that I had planned for the series, or maybe I should just take the hint, and uh, my sermon idea may not be as good as I think it is, and God's ideas are always better than mine anyway, so... Where this came from today is uh, a few weeks ago I started rereading John Piper's amazing book, uh, Desiring uh, God. And uh, that's a book that transformed my understanding of living the Christian life many years ago. And it did that by establishing the central truth that the Christian life is the life that finds joy or finds delight and finds pleasure in God. And uh, a couple of weeks ago when I started reading it, I was kind of needing a, a pick-me-up, a refresher on the source of our joy. And so this sermon started out being informed by my notes from, from reading the first two chapters of that book. But then just after I went back to my notes on the book, I had a week just after that. This is how God lines things up, right? I had a week right after that, 10 days or so, where it seemed that person after person and family after family that I was encountering were suddenly struggling to find joy. And... And really struggling and, and wondering and searching for a source of joy. And, and then this week, um, you know, our church family very literally loses one of our joys. And uh, so it just, I just had to, I just, it's just one of these things. I, I have a sermon I really want to preach, but I can't get to it because this stuff keeps happening. And so my mind has been, excuse me, very much encompassed by the reality uh, of the sorrow we experience day to day in our life, and, and also season by season, and at the same time also our natural desire for happiness, and uh, happiness with family, and, and happiness with co-workers, and, and happiness in our job, and in our marriage, and with our kids. We, we desire happiness, and, and while at the same time we seem unable to find it. And, and so as we live out the Christian life, or as we're seeking to understand what it is from watching other Christians or reading about God, at some point we, we find ourselves struggling with a fundamental question. And this is the question that kept sort of coming up to me this last couple of weeks. I'll get to the question in just a minute. We, and it, it stems from this. We know that we find within ourselves an undeniable determination to be happy rather than sad. We always want to be happy rather than sad. We want to experience joy rather than pain. And as the mathematician Blaise Pascal observed, he said, a long time ago, he said, all men seek happiness. 
This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others of avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object of happiness. It is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. And it's true. We desire to be happy. And so the question is, is that desire wrong in a Christian? Aren't we supposed to be suppressing our fleshly desires for pleasure? Isn't that the cliche? Isn't Christianity all about things that are not fun? Isn't Jesus the party spoiler? And looking at some Christians and reading the Bible in some ways, we might come to the conclusion that our desire for happiness and joy and pleasure in this life is somehow at odds with God's desire for us. So the question we struggle with is, did God really create us with a desire fundamentally at odds with himself and his plan? Or is the problem not so much with our desire for joy, but rather with how we attempt to find it? Perhaps the message of Jesus is really a message not to suppress joy, but in fact to experience true joy and true happiness, a superior joy by setting our hopes on a superior source. And so you're sitting in church and you're with Christians and I'm a pastor, so I'm not going to insult your attention, intelligence by presuming you don't know the answer I'm going to give. Of course, the message of Jesus is a message of joy. But what I want to get at today and what I think most people think is that it's a different kind of joy, that it's some sort of mystical, spiritual, uh, supernatural joy uh, in, a, in its sort of outside of our experience and it's different. And just not to expect it in the future, and that we're to expect it in the future after a lifetime of sort of gritting our teeth and after a life of sort of resigned service. But that it's not the joy that we're supposed to have in our hearts right now, but but I think what Jesus taught and what God wants for us is a joy that's in our hearts right now, bubbling up out of us and out of our thoughts and in our words and in our actions right now today. A grumpy Christian should be hard to find. And so that's my premise, is that, is that there is a joy that God wants for us and that we need to root ourselves in that joy. And so to get to that answer to that question of, of God's desire for our joy, we have to first get the foundation of our thinking on joy and happiness set firmly on God. Because all of my arguing would mean nothing if God's purpose for us didn't include joy. If, as I started out saying, that God's desire for his glory and our existence is somehow at odds with our desire for happiness, which we find in ourselves, then we might as well give up right away because we are not going to thwart God and his purposes, right? So if we're going to have joy in this life, it has to be that God planned it because he's God and we're not. Right, so, so we have to base this on the reality that God's plan for us actually is joy, otherwise it's a useless argument. And Job says of God, he stands alone and who can oppose him? He does whatever he pleases. The psalmist says our God is in heaven and he does whatever pleases him. And he also says whatever the Lord pleases he does in heaven and on earth and in the seas and in all the deeps. And so if God opposes our joy, then, then we're not going to accomplish it. So we have to base our hope for joy first and foremost on the fact that God also desires it for us. Are you following me? Because we're not going to oppose him. If God doesn't want our happiness, we won't have it. But that is actually very good news for us because in fact God gets what he desires and what God desires for us and what pleases God and which therefore cannot be opposed is that God finds his own joy in the pleasure and the well-being and the joy of his people. And so that's really good news for us because God's glory and God's pleasure actually comes from our joy. And as we just read, what God wants, he gets. 
because he cannot be opposed. And in fact, God not only wants us to have joy, he commands us to experience delight. Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Or Psalm 34.8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Or Psalm 16.11 says, You may know me, you may have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And Philippians 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Those are amazing verses when you stop to think about them, right? When you look and see that, right? That that God will fill us with joy in his presence and with eternal pleasures of his right hand. That's pretty amazing. That's a pretty amazing promise from God. That his desire for us is joy. That Paul says that we are to rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say rejoice. In fact, God actually commands us to take delight in him. So it's God's purpose that we be happy, and he commands us to be happy. And not only does God command that we experience joy, but the second thing is, is that God himself receives joy and he experiences his own pleasure in his actions of restoring his people. So God gets his own pleasure out of giving us joy by redeeming and restoring us as his people. And just listen to the amazing way that God talks about his own joy in what he is accomplishing for us. In Jeremiah, he says, I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and my soul. In Isaiah, he says, you shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married, for the Lord delights in you. And your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Like you just got to get your head around what is going on with God. He is exulting. He is rejoicing over what he is accomplishing in our lives. God brings pleasure and joy to himself over what he is doing to redeem and restore his people. That is an amazing way to have things set up for us. We're the beneficiaries here of God's absolute delight in what he does. Zephaniah says it again. He says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Like, I get it. We don't spend nearly enough time thinking about how happy God is. He is happy. He is rejoicing over the fact that he is redeeming and restoring his people. And we just, we don't remember how joyful God is about his work in our lives. He rejoices. He exults over what he's doing with us today, right now. And now those are two very good, great truths, right, that I just laid out there. He commands us to be delighted and find joy right now, and God himself is delighted in restoring and redeeming us in order that we can take delight in him. So God gets joy from our joy in him. Isn't that a great plan? Like, isn't that really smart how God worked it out? And then the first thing we started with, God is God and he will do what he will and none will resist him and so he's going to get what he wants. So you know what God's going to get? He's going to get our joy and his joy out of him giving us our joy. It's a good plan for us. And we don't spend enough time thinking about how happy and how joyful God is about what he does for us. And so those are great truths that really I just need to sink into me and we need to, as a church, have sink into us because this is a good plan. 
We need a God who is infinitely devoted to the preservation of his own joy and enjoyment. Because our Christian joy is rooted in the perfect and eternal pleasure of God. And that is the joy that sustains us. The fact that God is a happy God is what draws us into his joy. This is how John Piper puts it in uh, his uh, second or third chapter. He says, can you imagine what it would be like if the God who ruled the world were not happy? What if God was given to grumbling and pouting and depression like some sort of jack-in-the-beanstalk giant in the sky? What if God were frustrated and despondent and gloomy and dismal and discontent and dejected? Could we then join David and say, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water? I don't think so. We would all relate to God like little children who have a frustrated, gloomy, dismal, discontented father. They can't enjoy him. They can only try not to bother him and maybe try to work for him to earn some little favor. Wow. That was rebuking to me because I remember times in my life when I thought that's what God was like. He was like a gloomy, dismal, grumpy father that I had to work to earn some of his favor so he would be happy with me. And that's not at all what God is like. God is the opposite of that. He's not that father. That is not our God. Our God, if, if, if God were not happy, then Christian joy would have no foundation. And that may be the God of other religions, that they have to work to somehow please their grumpy God in some way, who, uh, that they have a God that's prone to spite and demanding things to earn his favor. But that is not the God of Israel that we have just read about in the Old Testament who is rejoicing and is exulting over the joy and the redemption of his people. Nor is it the God of the New Testament. They are the one and the same. They are, God is a God of happiness dedicated to his own joy. God is happy and he delights in his children and his children therefore can delight in him. Or as the Westminster Catechism said hundreds of years ago, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And you notice there it says that it is the chief end not the chief ends of man. In other words, glorifying God and enjoying him forever are not two different things. Enjoying God or finding God, finding joy in God is glorifying God. And that's how the ancient church understood Christianity. It's a call to find joy in God. That's our duty, to glorify God and enjoy him, have joy in God. God finds joy in his own glory, and he finds joy in redeeming and restoring his people. But this is a series about Jesus, right? So we have to bring it back here, right? What about Jesus? Well, the truth is, God also finds joy in his chosen servant. He finds joy in Jesus. Isaiah 42 says, Behold my servant who I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And then in Psalm 45, he says, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Speaking of Jesus. And in Matthew 3, it says, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God takes pleasure and God finds joy in Jesus. 
And what about Jesus himself? Was his message of joy? Jesus came to do that which pleased God. It says in John 8, And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And so when Jesus comes, the delight of of God coming as his servant to do the will of God, Jesus is delighting God and pleasing God, and he's always doing the things that are pleasing God. And Jesus' own joy was in accomplishing those things which pleased God. Hebrews says of Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so this, this theme of joy, this theme of pleasure, this theme of happiness, it pervades, it's God is a happy God and God takes joy and takes pleasure in redeeming and restoring his people and in bringing them joy. And he is pleased in his servant, Jesus. And Jesus is always doing the things that please God. And Jesus' own joy was accomplished in doing what pleased God, even the joy of going to the cross. And you put those two facts together, in my mind, when I put those things together, it just... it, it, it forms this incredibly profound truth to live our lives by, especially on weeks like the last couple weeks have been for me and for many families who are wondering where their joy has gone and when they're going to have their joy return. When they are facing tension and as a family they're facing stress and they're facing trials and they're facing illness and they're even facing death. When I put these truths together in my mind, this is what I get. The pleasure of the purposes of God is so great that it encompasses even the cross. Even the death of his own son is encompassed in the joy of God. Because everything about Jesus God was pleased in and everything Jesus was doing to redeem his people brings joy to God and Jesus was happy to do the will of the Father and it was the joy that was set before Jesus to go to the cross. And so when I look at this, I realize that the joy of God is so full that it encompasses everything, even the cross. There is no setback, there is no suffering, there is no despondency, there is no grief, there is no sorrow, and no despair that can escape the all-encompassing purpose of God's joy. He intends for joy, even in the cross that his own son had to go to. If even the cross works for the glory and the joy of God, then everything has to. Because there could be nothing that could be more sorrowful than the cross. And Jesus said of his own death, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. So the joy of God encompasses everything. You have to hold on to that truth. And Jesus' teaching also gives joy to his people. And so we have to listen and hear what Jesus is saying and make this truth real in our heart. He says, now I am coming to you and these things I speak to the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. It's, It's the intention of God through Jesus to have the joy of God fulfilled in the world. And he goes on to say, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So this week was really about going back over scripture from Old Testament to New. From the God of the universe to Jesus to his teaching to the cross to us. 
This last week has really been about going back over all of Scripture and realizing that over and over and over again, God is telling you it's about joy, it's about pleasure, it's about happiness, it's about what I am doing to glorify myself and that I take pleasure in what I am accomplishing in my people so that your joy can be made full. And there's literally scores of other verses that we could go to ex- to expand on this idea of the joy of Jesus. The joy of Jesus in his resurrection, in, in drawing the world to his Father, in, in the redeeming and, and restoration of his people, and his joy in his disciples, and his joy in the people who follow him. And it goes on and on and on. It's joy, joy, joy. But we have to end somewhere. And so our question that we began with is, is the natural desire that God put in us for happiness at odds with God. Because we find in ourselves this desire for joy. We, we pursue happiness. And is that at odds with God? And I hope from this you can see that it is not at odds with God. God designed us for his pleasure and for joy. And his joy is in our joy. And God's glory is that his people find pleasure in him. So our problem then is not that we pursue pleasure and joy too little in our lives. But the problem is actually that we don't pursue it enough or we pursue it very unwisely. We choose words and actions in our life that we think will bring us joy and bring us some sort of satisfaction, but the words and the actions we choose are not God's words and not God's actions. They're our things, not his things, and so they bring sorrow instead. When we look at our life and we see where the pain and the sorrow comes from, it comes from us acting and us speaking wrongly. And if we could act and speak rightly, then God has great joy in store for us. The words of C.S. Lewis, I'm going to end the way he famously began his sermon, The Weight of Glory. C.S. Lewis said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition, When infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. And I think that's true. Because we pursue things that we think will bring us joy, but we're pursuing things of ourselves. The message of Jesus, what he entered into the world to tell us and to purchase for us is this, that there is a great joy available to you. There is an eternal joy and a pleasure of enormous value and worth. We know it is an enormously valuable joy because it was purchased with the blood of Jesus on the cross. It was purchased at the highest possible price. And that joy and that happiness is there for us. It is God's unthwartable purpose that we would find joy in him and he finds joy in us finding that joy so how do you get there god has good commands for us and god has good things planned for us tomorrow and the day after and the years after god intends for you to have joy and to bring him glory in your joy there is so much joy that is in store for you if you put your hope in God and follow His commands. They are loving commands. They are intended to protect you from harm and to maximize your joy. Don't derail the joy that God has in store for you tomorrow by your own stubbornness or your own willfulness or your own acting wrongly in spite of what you know God would have for you. 
Your plans for yourself are futile compared to the plans that God has for your joy. That's the message of the Bible. God will not be thwarted. He will, he's God. He won't be opposed. And God finds pleasure and glory in the redemption and the redeeming and the joy of his people. And if we will simply get out of the way and let God accomplish the joy that he wants to accomplish in our lives, he has so much joy in store for us. If we will listen to his good commands, if we will follow the good example of his son, if we will diminish so that he can increase, if we can set our own flesh and our own selfishness and our own anger and our own willfulness and our own spitefulness aside and just let God bring joy into our life, his plans for us are joy. And so as C.S. Lewis would say, we are half-hearted creatures and we fool around with foolish things. And so today we have to learn to release our grip on the cheap, temporary, false, deceitful, person-destroying pleasures that we think are the pleasures of the world and that are actually drawing us away from the joy that God has in store for us. And by letting, loosening our grip and letting go of those cheap, temporary, deceitful joys, we will enter into the joy of the wisdom and the goodness of God. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that this is how you've got it all set up. That you are a happy God. You are not pouty and grumpy and sorrowful. And we don't have to tiptoe around trying to please you so that we can earn some sort of favor. In fact, you are the source of perfect eternal joy, a perfect joy in yourself and finding pleasure in redeeming and restoring your people. And you just ask us to trust you and believe you that you have our good intended because it brings you glory. And Father, that truth, that your joy is so all-encompassing, it encompasses even the cross, that it was the joy that was set before Jesus to go to the cross, that it was your joy to send your son, that it was his joy to do the things that you commanded him. And if your joy encompasses even the cross, Lord, it has to encompass the sorrows of our life. So Lord, help us to let go. Help us to get our eyes off of our own selfishness or our own ignorance or our own striving and to get our hands off of the cheap, deceitful, false pleasures of this world and instead set our eyes and our hands and our hearts on you so that we can trust and know that you have so much joy in store for us if we can just get our flesh out of the way and let your word and your son transform us, we will have that joy. Our desire for happiness is not at odds with you, Lord. It's exactly what you want for us. Help us to seek it in the right place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.